Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another Beer with Darren. I'm really, really excited by this episode. Uh, I have somebody from Intercellar here, um, Christina, who is in charge of BD, but from LinkedIn, I think she's a marketer personally. Um, Christina, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm kind of bummed that it's only 11 here, so I can't have a beer. Might not be uh, uh, looked at very well, but I do have coffee, so cheers. Perfect. Well, cheers to your coffee. <laughs> I've, I've got a Peroni, so I, it's uh, it's 4 p.m. Go. here, so I think it's acceptable. I really do. What's, uh, what's on your T-shirt, Aventress? Sauce content. What's that? Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Interstellar itself is a platform for you know, prospecting and outreach, mostly for recruiters, which is our ICP. But SourceCon is an event that happens uh, at least every year. I think it's twice a year. And it's like an in-person conference of just recruiting sourcers, getting together and nerding out on sourcing. So this is a t-shirt from last year. This year was virtual. uh, So didn't make that, but it was a really good time. So I wear this shirt pretty much every week. Amazing, amazing. I, I've, yeah. We've all got t-shirts, right? When you go to events and you pick up the swag, I've, yep. I've got t-shirts that have become part of my staple wardrobe and uh, the wife doesn't get it. I've got I've got the page atop one, obviously, um, at the moment. Smart. And uh, the reason I brought up t-shirts is because it, it just segues really nicely into something I need to get onto one of these podcasts. Um, we're raising money for Minds, the mental health charity at the moment, uh, with marketing t-shirts. So anyone that's looking for a funny t-shirt, things like the colouring in department we've got written down on t-shirts, um sprinkle some of your widgetry on it we've got on there um just go to pager.tmill.com and you can get your t-shirt there right that's the plug over with i need to get that out of there <laughs> i need I'll that be- t-shirt i need one of those t-shirts you're allowed to oh. plug that that's all i wear i literally wear vendor and conference free t-shirts all week it's it's the perfect wardrobe oh, just, amazing. Well, pop, yeah. pop me your address after this and i'll get one sent to you 100 percent. i'll get one over to you Sorted. Awesome. <laughs> Anyone else listening though, they're for charities. So you've got to buy your own. Done. Right. <laughs> there you so go. How did you get uh, how did you get started at Interstellar? What do you guys do and uh, what's your background? Yeah, so I have a pretty non-linear background. Um, I was actually in the recruiting seat for the first five years of my career before I ended up going to the dun, 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 dark side is what they call it. The vendor, the B2B SaaS HR tech space. Um, so my background is a little varied. I started in recruiting, went to content marketing for a really cool company called Phenom People, who's now C-funded, um, and basically grew the content marketing, uh, division, you know, from scratch, uh, before I left there. Um, I then went on to be a full stack marketer for a couple of different startups, one in the robotic process automation space, which was super interesting, not for me. Uh, And went back into (laughs) HR tech for a company called Resource, um, left there shortly before Christmas just because they had some product pivot and ended up letting go a lot of staff there. So I come from startup world historically, um, but I landed at Interstellar in January. Um, uh, Maybe this is something we can go into at some point if you're interested. But my last role, I actually ended up making a switch into full cycle sales and just wrapped up a full one year experiment in full cycle sales before now owning growth marketing here at Interstellar. So I absolutely want to dive into that. I want to dive into that, definitely. We will have to. It was very insightful. Um, I think it made me a better marketer, but uh, we'll we'll let my peers judge that. Um, I but I spent, you know, this year in, in sales and figured out, man. I want to sit on the fence. 
right? I want to own the gap between marketing and sales and make it non-existent. So I pitched myself internally at my six month sales check-in and said, hey, yeah, this has been great. I want to do growth marketing here. I want to own marketing, everything that falls underneath that. But I also want to own our, you know, all of our top of funnel demand gen BD side of the business too, and help make that super solid um, experiment, basically enable our sales team to have more conversations. So I transitioned a little less than 90 days ago. Um, and I'm, you know, still getting my feet wet in certain ways, but it's the perfect blend for me. That sounds amazing. Amazing. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned that gap because often that's what we talk about. We recently did a survey around why sales feel like they, they don't get on with marketing, why there's a gap. And often the frustration from sales is that the the leads that come from marketing aren't qualified, the MQLs aren't, aren't SQLs and all of these other acronyms. And if you follow up with marketing, they're like, well, sales don't follow up on my leads. So what's the point of me getting them leads? And there's that huge, huge disconnect. So that journey you went on must have really helped you to see both sides of the, the fence. And, and why do you think that disconnect is there to begin with? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's going to depend on the organization. Um, I think, you know, if anyone's listening to this that is in marketing or has grown up in marketing, um, you kind of know which organizations are really actually bought in from a leadership level into their marketing function, right? When you go into a company that's just hiring their first marketer and they've been around for three years and they're like 100 plus employees, it's like, Ooh, why are you just now doing marketing? Was there some reason why you didn't believe this was critical before? Um, but again, that's a side note. Uh, I think what really happens is the misalignment of top level goals. You know, marketers are, are somewhat consumed with, you know, generating as much leads, you know, volume traffic as possible. Um, and what happens is they kind of sometimes can lose sight on the end goal, which for me, I have a sticky note on my desk here that says drive revenue, not MQLs. If sales and marketing have the same top level goal of revenue, then it's really easy for me as a marketer to look at all the activities that I'm currently doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And through that lens say, okay, is this activity going to get me closer to our overarching goal, which is driving our revenue? If not, then it's gonna go lower on the prioritization list. And we're not talking about ongoing branding and things that need to happen that don't necessarily have that direct correlation. Yeah. But from what I am heads down on, I'm more worried about meetings booked and beyond. You know, quality of conversations, number of conversations happening, then, oh, I drove in a thousand leads this month. Great, but if only 2% of them converted, it's really not that great in my book. So I'm trying to focus further down the funnel, even though I'm responsible for top of funnel, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And it's something we we preach about as well, because I was I was speaking to somebody the other day that they measure purely on MQLs. And um, and when you when you actually do that, I was speaking to them about, I'll be, I'll be honest, I was trying to get them to give me some budget for pager, right? I'll be very honest. Uh, and I was saying to them, well, what can we cut? Let's look through your spend. Yeah, what, what can we cut? And I said, and we worked out that one of their channels was delivering MQLs, but none of them actually converted. So it's like, great, well, let's cut that channel because it's not giving you any revenue. Let's try out Pager, plug Pager in, and we're going to do the same experiment. Um, and he actually said he can't do that because that channel provides him the highest level of MQLs, and he's measured there. So 
he wouldn't he wouldn't change his budget because actually this ineffective channel in terms of for the business was delivering MQL. So shifting that measurement stick further down the line to, to actual revenue, I think is is absolutely key because you know if you're measuring someone just on activity based website traffic, that sort of thing. Yeah, it, it means they haven't got the best interest of the business at heart, I think, at the end of the day. I agree with you. And I think that's why, you know, I've learned pretty quickly and, and mostly from my last startup experience that it's our job, especially if you're a marketer like me, where you're the only one, you don't have enough time to do every marketing box that there is, right? There's so many things and it's a never ending list. Um, and you know, you're working with a leadership team that may not have been tactically involved in marketing before, a CEO, founders, whoever it might be. And so I think what's really important is our job, and I say this, it's our job, part of our job, to educate our CEOs and our leadership and get buy-in on why we want to do something, right? Like I could easily say, you know, we need to do this on LinkedIn because I know it's going to be powerful. That's great. I know that because I've gone through all the little steps in my head, but my CEO doesn't know every little step that's involved, what the time spent will look like, what resources we need, what budget, what the desired outcomes are. It's our job to be able to share that vision so that it is, it's educating them just as much. So I think in that case, listen, I don't know that person, I don't know the leadership, but I would personally feel like it's my responsibility to say, hey, I think there's a disconnect in what I'm being measured on and where we're pouring budget. Absolutely. Um, that's if, what if, I would if you're listening to this, why. if they could have that now, that would be fantastic. Uh, but uh, yeah. they probably won't. It's, uh, it's one of those weird ones. And you mentioned educating and getting buy-in. How do you do that amongst the sales team in particular? Yeah, I think for me, it, it also helps that I've, I've been part of the sales team here. You know, I spent my first six months on the floor working with them, doing the same thing that they're doing, struggling the same way, um, you know, celebrating successes in the same way. And so I think we kind of had that built level of trust. But I think that can happen in any organization. And I really think um, it's funny. I was talking this morning to Alex from uh, on his finite podcast, and we were talking about this very topic. It's really a people relationship rooted problem, in my opinion, as well as the disconnect from the top level goals. But people are people. We're humans. And the more that marketers can get to know their sales team, listen in on demos. If you're using Gong or Chorus or anything where you can maybe go back and listen to demos on your lunch break or in the morning, if you're commuting, if you are, if you're not, okay, that's cool too. But as close as you can get to your sales team, it's just going to make you figure out what gaps need to be filled with marketing collateral, with any kind of enablement that you can do from your side. And so those are the types of things that I try to focus on um, are they getting a common objection that I could maybe help synthesize into some piece of content that would be helpful to them? Um, are they, you know, are they, are all of the leads falling off somewhat at the same step in the process or are they converting at a certain step in the process? And I can help move that further up the chain to close our gap on conversion. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do, but you just kind of get to know your sales team and also get to know them personally you know, actually care about them as people behind the scenes. Um, 
But one problem will continue to happen. And this is where you have to be really, really careful. You're never going to get rid of sales coming to you and saying, hey, I think we should do this, 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 and this. It's the ideas, right? And I think the earlier on that you can build some sort of process that still takes into account all of those ideas without necessarily feeling like you're on the spot to put things in action that you're not really sure are worth putting in action, the better. Put some sort of process into place to field those ideas and make them still feel heard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, marketing is one of those roles where everybody thinks they are a marketer, right? That's the reality. Yeah. No, nobody goes to the FD and says, hey, I think we should uh, use uh, this reporting tool to break down our CAC value. I, don't, I just don't think they do that. Um, but with marketing and also products as well. So my background is tech. So I, I sat in the on the product side more. I was, as a techie, I've always been more interested in the product than the code, if that makes sense. So it's the same thing with products. You'd be sitting there and someone comes and go, hey, that button should be doing this and it should work this way. And the the art of saying no for me is one of the most important things in a really, really good book if you haven't read it, The Art of Saying No. It's what I read early on in my career. And the ability to say no to someone but still make them know they've been heard and they, they feel appreciated rather than just a blanket no is so important. And I think that's I think that's what marketers need to do is be able to say no to someone without offending them. That's that's because if you want to maintain a relationship, you can't offend somebody, right, internally. Uh, what, what's that out of interest? And you don't need to name names or companies. What's the wackiest idea that you've had brought to your desk by, by a salesperson? Oh, goodness. The wackiest idea. I don't know if it's necessarily, hmm. Ooh, that's, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> I can't think of like a super wacky idea. I might have to table that one and get back to you. Have you heard some crazy stories? Uh, a little bit. Um, so when I was at a company called Broadbean, who are a recruitment SaaS company, yep. um, they there was a salesperson that was driving to work and they bought a smart car, a small Mercedes car. I don't know if you have them in the States. Uh, and they asked if marketing could cover the cost of wrapping the car in the Broadbean colors um, and then basically sponsor them going to work. So if, they, if the company could cover their cost of petrol, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. and they will drive around in a, in a Broadbean car. Um, to which they got told no. <laughs> which, uh, wow, that's actually a really creative idea. But yeah, you definitely would have to uh, drill down what that data would look like and the budget and the cost and the ROI on it. Uh, but, yeah. but also imagine if you do, once you said yes once, imagine every single person in the business <laughs> saying, I'll, I'll drive that car. I want a car like that. Yeah, if you're going to cover my costs, I'll I'd absolutely drive that. And suddenly you've got 250 smart cars going around the around England in the right in the branded. I think it'd be yeah. um yeah, it'd be an interesting one. The the other question I love to ask, if you if you can't think of the wackiest idea, is what's your what's your biggest fuck up? Yeah, where have you spent money and gone, I shouldn't have done that, or oh. just got it wrong? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I've it's hard for me to say that I've had like a big fuck up because I'm of the mind that I experiment rather frequently and I fail quickly. So it's usually yeah. not a hard hit like that. Um, what I think happens is some people set things in marketing and then just kind of like either forget about them or don't really, I don't know what it is, uh, but then they come back to it a month later and they've bled out how much money on a paid ad that was you know, redirecting to the wrong place or something. I mean, I, I've seen that happening. I think the worst thing that I've done is when I was at Pinon People, um, I ran the entire webinar program 
and I ended up doing a virtual event, which was right before I left and exited. And I wanted it to just be this amazing event. And I actually forgot to record, hit record on one of the sessions. I bet so I that, happen. I mean, <laughs> and I've done that on webinars before. I've sent out webinar graphics with the wrong date and time and had to do some sort of, you know, uh, apology for the mistake, follow-up email. Uh, I'd say I've probably done that a handful of times just because I've been so focused on trying to get something done um, that that would probably be a mistake that I've actually repeated before, which kind of sucks. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just, something that happens when you're dealing with high volume of email copy and, you know, a whole lot of different things uh, going on at the same time. So I'd say that's probably the biggest fuck up I've had. It's, I think everybody's done not it. Too bad. No, it's not too bad at all. Right. I think, I think we're seeing more, more and more brands um, fucking up more than, more than, more than that for definite. Um, there was yep. a, there was a, there was a gym in the UK, a gym called Pure Gym um, that for for black uh, for black history month released a slave workout and they tweeted about it they said slavery is hard so is this workout so um yeah compared to uh, your your webinar not pressing record uh, i think there's bigger <laughs> bigger fuck ups out there in the world eh yeah that one's hard to bounce back from that's got some long term brand impacts for sure um yeah, no, I can't say I've ever done anything like that and and in fact when i'm looking through copy I actually really think through like, is this something that could offend someone, especially if you're getting creative and disruptive, which, you know, uh, that's something I like to kind of explore and dabble in quite a bit um, is, yeah, would this absolutely be good? Is it going to get any wires crossed? Um, I think that's super important to think through. I can't believe that one happened. Wow. I know. I know. It's Ooh. absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Anyway, wow. so let's move let's move away from yeah. um, racist tweets by by brands. Um, let's let's move on to growth marketing. So you, you mentioned you're a growth sure. marketer, and yep. there's there's so many now um, words that that go before marketer. Um, so in how would you define growth marketing? What what is it? Why is it different to just marketing? Um, yeah. So what what makes you a growth marketer? Yeah. So I mean, I think what what I kind of so growth marketing looks different in every organization. You know, um, for example, uh, I'm friends with Terrence, who's head of growth marketing at Vidyard, and his goals are really to drive everyone to their freemium model because that's their lead funnel. So that's really what he's measured by. We don't have a freemium model, so for me, it's a little bit different. Um, I kind of split my time between inbound and outbound, um, and so it's a little bit more of a unique role. Um, but really, what I kind of abide by are the pirate metrics in growth marketing, and I don't know if you've ever heard of those, but no, I haven't. They're yet. literally, it's like our that's the acronym, so it, <laughs> that's why that. they call it the pirate metrics. But basically. You know, it, it, it focuses on everything from awareness all the way down to retention. So there are different places where growth marketing and really marketing can impact every stage of the customer life cycle. So I'm focusing on right now being only less than 90 days into the role on like awareness and acquisition, right? Those are the two kind of top of funnel, top level metrics that I'm trying to just sit in and nail and build repeatable processes and document as much as possible and work my way down the funnel. So, you know, I have a big project rolling out this week that's doing customer video testimonials instead of doing boring case studies written. 
we're going to have these little snippets of, you know, customer testimonials, um, which is kind of, to me, like a case study, because you're asking some of those same questions. Um, so I think it impacts every stage of the company in the regards of growth and retention and adoption and just making making sure that the whole experience is fluid. So again, that's no shortage of tasks or things that can be done, but it it's fun. I treat it as project-based instead of thinking about trying to do all the things at 14%. I'm really running in sprints, which you know, it's really an engineering thing. I'm running very agile and I really focus on, you know, I'm not planning more than a quarter ahead. There's, to me, there's so much that can evolve and and change as we've seen in 2020. I'm focusing on, you know, what can I get done in this month knowing I'm going to add more? What are my critical components this month? And that's what I'm aiming to get done knowing that other things will pop up. So that's what works for me instead of trying to do, you know, a million things at 14%. I'm trying to do two or three really key things at 100%. I completely get it. And and way I start my week, um, I actually put this on LinkedIn the other day, is I, I write down five things that I want to do. And they, they can be the tiniest of things. And I judge my week not based on every single thing I do. At the end of the week, I say, did I do those five things? If I did, then great. I've got, I've got what I want to do done. There may be things that are waiting. You do the same. Look at that. This is unbelievable. Love that. <laughs> I thought I was the I only do. one. I five things. Because if you try and do more than five things in a week, that means you're trying to accomplish more than one thing a day. Right? And I, I like to think I can definitely do one thing every single day that I want to do. Yeah. And listen, it's going to be there. I, I would rather do things thoughtfully and correctly, um, or at least as correct to my my ability, um, especially if you're testing something, you never know till you hit publish or you know hit push or whatever. Um, but I think it's important. I have things that I've planned out further, like our webinar program. I have all of that planned out through the rest of the year. But again, I think you have to be adaptable and you have to be willing to say, you know what, let's abandon that because I don't think it's working now, and let's start a podcast, you know, or just you got to be willing to be a little crazy and adventurous in marketing instead of having to hold to this plan and themes. And I don't know, I have a different outlook on, on marketing as a no, whole. I'm with you. I think every marketing strategy this year has been ripped up and thrown out the window anyway. So, you know, if you try and plan for 12 moments, you're, you're pretty screwed. I think it's uh, fast and furious, right? It says live your life a quarter mile at a time. That's uh, that's what you should do in marketing. Take, take some notes from Vin Diesel. <laughs> Yeah. And listen, I think there's something to be said about having like a high level direction, vision, kind of, you know, if you want to have themes, cool. I know uh, I came from a team that was big on, you know, tying everything to themes uh, and and I get it. But what if something cool happens or, you know, you have an opportunity to what I would call, you know, have a lightning strike. I don't know if you've ever read Play Bigger. It's such a good book about, you know, category creation and lightning strikes and this element of just making things big, right? And like, oh, we're going to pass up this potential opportunity to piggyback on something really great this month. Let's stick to the theme. You know, like, I don't know. I I think have a plan, but loose, loose plan, a fallback plan if something cool is not happening. I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I completely agree. And I I couldn't have you on the show without talking about email marketing and email outreach, obviously. (laughs) So, um, I mean, it's one of the reasons we got talking, um, Alistair on our side, 
uh, emailed you and actually got you to open it and and respond i believe uh, so I, I like to think we're doing something right with our email marketing but uh, yeah i mean over to you I, I really want you to talk about email marketing and, and what you guys do first of all for recruiters because a lot of uh, a lot of our audience are recruit marketers so yeah i mean this is your chance to number one pitch into seller um, but then we're going to dive into a little bit about email email outreach and the best practices yeah no i mean listen interseller i have a really soft spot for it obviously it's the product that i'm engrossed in day in day out um but i've also come from similar products or i've come from you know other email marketing tools that just haven't had the same kind of results quite simply interseller is a prospecting and outreach platform for recruiters and sellers our main focus is on external recruiting teams because we empower them to be able to do both the business development side of their business as well as candidate development. Um, so, you know, for the sellers that are out there that are really familiar with kind of the engagement tools in the sales space, we're like a Zoom info plus outreach.io for recruiting teams. So we do all the data finding, we do all of the email sequencing, we sync everything to the CRM or ATS. Um, it just makes it easier because what's happening is there's a lot of behaviors in recruitment. And listen, I come from that world. So I know some of these behaviors and I didn't know any better, just like some of my counterparts now in recruiting. A lot of people do the one and dones. They do the in-mail only, which is very antiquated. Um, it's just not producing the same results it did for the recruiting world, you know, even five years ago. Uh, yeah. And so... What we're really trying to do is help people not only go to a one-to-one -one email strategy. We're not talking about HubSpot um, or you know uh, Marketo or Mailchimp, where you're doing somewhat of a produced one-to-many email campaign. We're talking a one-to-one -one email that's coming from your Gmail, your Outlook, your email provider, and it looks as if I have handcrafted that message just for you not for you and 20 million other people. And so I think a lot of what I end up spending my time doing is helping people really understand the behaviors that are associated with really good email cold outbound strategy um, using our product. So, and I think very differently about it, Darren. I actually teach people not to talk about their product, their service, a problem or a solution in any of their touch points right okay so what, what do they talk about <laughs> you're really so here's the thing and you know um right now my my email sequences that i'm running and again i'm doing this every day too it's not like i'm just saying hey here's what works for email but i haven't been doing it for three or four years i actually do this every day and i iterate daily i'm currently averaging an 80 percent plus open rate a 30 percent plus reply rate and a 10% plus booked meeting conversion off of cold email outreach alone. And this is what I'm trying to coach other people to do, including our customers and our internal team. And again, I'm following the same approach. It's super personalized. Your first touch is super personalized. It's usually pulling something from LinkedIn. So if I went to your LinkedIn page, I could probably say something like, Darren, about your LinkedIn post. And then in that email, I'd say something like, Hey, Darren, I saw you recently posted your latest beer with Darren session. Um, really loved it. Super awesome. And then I would maybe pull an excerpt from it. You know, I loved it when you said, 
marketers are awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was right on the money and I couldn't agree more. With that said, would love to get on a call with you. And yes, I prompt for a call because again, I think of every step and every email as a ticket to a conversation, not a ticket to the sale. So I wanna hop on a call, I wanna learn about you, I wanna learn about Pager, I wanna learn about your current priorities. I want to earn the right to talk about how interseller might fit in. That's it. And what happens is, and the data shows this, let's say I have 30% people reply and they, they end up converting. 30%, that 30% also clicked and did their own research. And so what's happening here is by not spelling everything out for them, but writing a compelling message that's about them, it puts the onus on your prospect to do their own research, which is really hard for us as sellers to comprehend. You're letting them go and you're basically creating an inbound lead out of an outbound lead. Because when they reply back, well, and when they reply back to you, it's with that context because they have gone and done the research. They know what Interseller does. And when they respond back, they'll say something like, hey, Christina, love the message. I looked at what Interseller does and we're currently using Lucia or we're currently using Jim or, you know, whatever. Um, how is this different? You know, yeah. so again, it gets that conversation going. You're not telling them that you're trying to sell anything. They're connecting the dots because you had a message that got their attention. And so that's, again, that's what I try to, to preach about. And I'm constantly trying to get people to just at least test it because it does work. Absolutely. And it's, it's opened my eyes a little bit because I'm, I'm now literally, as soon as you're talking, I'm going over my emails that I send and I'm thinking, right, I, I always personalize the subject line. We're, we're really good at personalizing subject lines yeah. here, that open rate. And we do that well. But I know for a fact that in my email, I do talk about what Pager does and why I'd like to talk to them. So I, I will I will personally, you have my word, I will experiment and I will feed back to you how I get on. And uh, yeah, anyone listening, yep. I'd love you to join that that journey as well. Um, because I, I actually think you're right. I'm, I'm thinking about the emails that I used to respond to when I was a when I was a buyer. You know, when I was um, a chief technology officer, I used to get a lot lots of emails from software um, providers, and it it was the ones where they, yeah, they picked something out of my profile. You know, recognised I didn't have a degree, for example. Uh, I had one. The best best outreach email I ever had was "Who needs a degree anyway?" in the uh, in the subject line. So and I, I, I opened that. that straight away. I was like, right, okay, you you get me. I don't have a degree. Here we are. Let's uh, let's chat. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's really fabulous. And how much you mentioned LinkedIn emails? Do you do you believe they still have a place, or do you think email is more effective than email? Yeah, I mean, just from what I've been seeing in our own studies, and obviously not everyone uh, that we work with has been very um, transparent in giving that data, right? Because a lot of, you know, we're working with recruitment firms. They're super competitive with one another, don't want to give out their intelligence um, or their competitive edge. But from what we're seeing, it's like a three to one reply rate on an email versus an in-mail. Um, and some yeah. people do well on in-mail. The problem is, is that you don't have the same visibility into um, how things are performing. You don't have the ability to set up any kind of automated follow-up process to take that manual kind of, you know, needing to remember on your own uh, to follow up, which unfortunately, if we get caught up in something or we have a really heavy demo day, we may not get to our email follow-ups in a timely fashion. And it's really important to hold to that cadence that you've kind of set because that's how you're going to test and predict success. 
Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would say just from what I know, I mean, everybody's pitching on LinkedIn. It's a noisy, noisy environment. Um, but to that point, there is no silver bullet at all. And that's something I tell everyone. So even though this approach works really well, and I've gotten it to work for other people not in this industry, you've got to keep testing things because not no two prospects are created equal. So I run a new test against this A process that we have here every quarter. And the one I just finished running was on everyone from the previous quarter that didn't reply, but opened our emails. And what I'll tell you is that it was short, direct, six touch points over like a week period, super high touch, super direct, super choppy. And the people who did end up responding or converting responded much in the same way they were communicated to. So I think there's just something to be said. Different people crave different things and you've got to find your A framework. Keep running that consistently. Make iterative changes to the copy as things evolve in the marketplace. But always pick something to test against that, whether it's re-engagement, whatever, um, at least on a quarterly basis and just try to understand what's maybe moving the needle for others. Absolutely. And I think that I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Measure and improve, measure and improve, measure and improve. And you will get there in the end. Um, yep. it's, it's one of the things we're we're trying to do ourselves. You know, we're we're a startup business. So everything we're doing is is new to us. And it's it's the exciting bit because everything's brand new. And there's so many shiny yeah. toys out there. You know, there's so many shiny bits of kit software and you, you can get overwhelmed sometimes. And I think it's really key to say you can do this. Just literally open up your Gmail and send emails. And once you get to the point where you see success, then you want to look at tools like Interseller to sort yep. of take it to the next level. Um, same thing we say with Pager. You know, if you want to get people sharing your content then start by asking them first, you know, don't, yep. don't, look, don't look for a tech solution when you haven't got a problem yet. Um, create the problem and then you can iterate and, and measure uh, your success. Uh, cool. I, yeah. look, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. I really have. Um, I, I think we should do it again once I finish my experiment. I'd love to bring you up to date on how things go. Is there anything you want to chat about? Anything I missed? No. I mean, listen, there's no shortage of things I think we could probably jam on. I think we uh, come from the same cloth in certain ways. So uh, really excited to chat. If there's anyone listening that wants to understand this personalized email process more uh, without the pressure of me trying to sell you on Interseller, because it is tech agnostic. Uh, I do have a process document that I put together that walks through that personalized process. Hit me up on LinkedIn and don't be a stranger. I'm happy to go ahead and share that freely with anyone um, and let you test it out for yourself and see if it works against your ICP and your market. So hit me up. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time and cheers for your coffee. I've got to, I've got to finish my beer. <laughs> You're allowed to have the beer. Cheers. Cheers.